I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. I'm at him speaking with Heather Roskowski, CISO of the University of Vermont Medical Center in Burlington, Vermont. Heather will be discussing some of her organization's top privacy and security priorities for 2015. Hi, Heather. Hi, how are you? Good. So now, Heather, what are some of your top information security priorities for 2015? And also, have the recent hacking attacks on Anthem and Primera impacted any of those priorities? So yeah, and I think they're bringing to light some of the challenges that we're having with malware. So over the past probably six months, I've seen a huge increase in phishing attempts laced with either malware or just a straight attempt to try and steal credentials. So going into 2015, 2016, I'm really trying to crack down on user awareness training around phishing so that we can avoid those credentials being exploited. Additionally, by adding multi-factor, two-factor authentication for anything that that's facing the web is another one because that can pretty much render phishing attempts that are designed to steal credentials useless. Are the phishing attacks becoming more sophisticated? So it's interesting because I think I think it's twofold. So I think the serious ones that are after very specific targets are very sophisticated and they're very difficult for the general user to detect. However, the ones that are not so complicated and they're, they're not as sophisticated on the back end, they're actually leaving errors within their phishing attempts so that they can weed out some of the information. I mean, otherwise, they'd get overwhelmed with information. So even the fishers are getting overwhelmed. Right, because a lot of people are falling victim to it. So now, what are the biggest privacy and security challenges that you're seeing these days? How have those challenges evolved over the last year? Good question. So it's twofold. So um, with privacy, it's locking down and making sure, at least from my realm, that the folks that should have access do have access. The folks that should not have access don't. So it's kind of going back and looking at your organization to folks that you have trusted, per se, to reevaluate them in, in those sense to make sure that you're doing all the right things. Because one of the challenges I've seen from a lot of organizations is it's a I don't want to say fire and forget, but we've dealt with that, we've made a decision on it, move on, and you don't go back and reevaluate it after a certain amount of time to make sure that the risks are still the same. Are they greater? Are they less? Did the mitigation that you put in place, does it still work or is it no longer valid? Now, going back to the Anthem and Primera breaches, what are the most important lessons you think that the healthcare sector should learn from those recent breaches? So a couple of them. Um, one is goes to the phishing that I mentioned earlier. Another is you know the sheer amount of data that they have. There's a number of different ways that you can protect against it. But one is don't put all your eggs in one basket. Two, have a way to detect that something's going on within your network. And three, have a really, really, really good plan to react to it. Because we're not always going to be 100% successful in defending every uh, attempted attack. So those that you don't, you have to have a really good reaction plan so that you can make sure sure that you're reducing the amount of information, if any, that they get away with. Now, you're at him speaking about building a security team and picking the right CISO. What are some of your best tips for assembling the best information security leadership team, especially if resources are limited? That's a great question. So one of the things we talked about today was leveraging security advocates. So, for instance, you have someone within your organization that reports to you that they found something suspicious. Let's say it turns out to be a virus or malware. 
go back to that person and, and let them know what a positive impact they made on the organization and they can see if you can continue to use them as a security advocate. Maybe bounce ideas off of them um, as you're building your training program and awareness program. Use them and I will tell you, you'll get more benefit out of them talking secondhand to their coworkers than you always doing, being in front of people talking to them. So they're sort of in the trenches? Yeah, they're in the trenches, but they understand the impact it can have because they experienced it. And, you know, it's kind of like uh, a business, you know. Sometimes word of mouth is your is your best advertisement. Same thing goes with information security. So now medical device cybersecurity is often an area that's neglected by some healthcare organizations. Anything that you're doing in terms of improving or bolstering your medical device cybersecurity that you think might be helpful for other organizations to consider doing? It's all about catching it at the door. One of the biggest challenges with medical devices is you don't know when people are adding things to your network. So you need to create basically conduits for the medical professionals to come and and get their software, hardware, devices reviewed because otherwise they're going to get put on the network anyway. So if at least you can have a hand in it on how they're integrated into the network, you can put some controls in place. So think number one is trying to make sure you're at least aware that they exist and that they're coming in. Hopefully in the long run, you'll be involved in that process before money exchanges hands and you've already signed the contract because that can also tie your hands when it comes to some of my challenges are after the fact, you know, well, we already, you already signed the contract. We're not going to negotiate that piece anymore. And then there's the technical side. So is you can put some technical controls in place to help you reduce the risk for those medical devices that wouldn't necessarily meet your security standards. Are consumer wearable devices, are they coming up on the radar screen at all for you? Do you see patients who are tracking their activities and their exercise and wanting to tell their doctors and send that data? And how do you prepare for that? So, you know, it's difficult. Technology is advancing at such an exponential rate that it's very difficult to try and track the security of it as well. So you try and think of it in terms of if the patient wants to share their data with us, That's information coming inbound. They have every right to do that. The challenge is we want to make sure that that information that comes into us is accurate and that we're not sharing it with somebody else that we're not supposed to. You know, and and it's also balancing the business need. So some of these wearable devices can provide some amazing information to physicians, potentially life-saving information, because, you know, if you think about it, a physician can ask a patient, you know, how they've been feeling, you know, if they've had any challenges, and they can say, no, I think I felt fine, but they come in with one of these wearable devices that's tracked their heart rate for the last 7 to 10 days, and they can say, well, you've had spikes around this time, the same may help them with that diagnosis. So, you know, we have to find a way, just like with the medical other medical devices. We have to find a way to say yes instead of saying no. And because you want to be a business enabler, not a business disabler. Now, I know it's only April, but looking ahead to 2016, anything that you're looking at yet in terms of implementing, in terms of new security technologies or initiatives? I know you mentioned some things earlier about training. Anything else? So, yeah, you know, it's all about maturing your organization's information security program. So, you know, I think by 2016, we're going to be less in in the realm of looking for particular products and to plug gaps than we will be to look at what we have and how can we use it better. How can we mature the programs that we have we've started? So, for instance, forensic analysis. If we... During this coming year, putting programs in place, well, how can we expand on that in future years to provide that level to the business if if needed? Phishing, 
malware, data loss prevention, right? Those are great tools, but you have to continue to develop them. So data loss prevention is only as good as the information it's looking for. If you don't continue to add more information into the mix, then you're looking for the same things and you're not and you're not changing at all. You're not maturing at all. And is it also a matter of having the resources to kind of follow up on suspicious things that are found? Yeah, it's putting procedures in place. So even if you have limited resources, you need to reach out to those other teams that are that should be involved. Privacy, physical security, compliance, risk. Use those folks to your advantage. Make them security advocates so that if you can't react to all those alerts, there's a process in place where maybe the HR business partners can go out and talk to supervisors and figure out why that individual is sending that email, why this person is constantly leaving their computer unlocked and and other people are jumping on it. So, you know, it's finding the people within the organization that can help you do that. And the other, I mean, the piece of it is, too, you want to make sure you tweak your system so that you're not overwhelmed with false positives. You're not overwhelmed with alerts. That can be just as detrimental as not having enough alerts. Thanks, Heather. I've been speaking to Heather Roskowski. I'm Marian Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.